Welcome to CarePod, a safe place to educate, inspire, and renew the caregiver. Listen in with our host, Dr. Kipley Bell, as she interviews different experts along the caregiving journey. So, Mr. Terry Tucker, this is so inspirational, so empowering. A gentleman who has literally walked the journey of caregiving early on his life and now is walking a personal journey with cancer. Uh, Listen into his story of resilience, inspiration, self-empowerment, and collective and shared humanity. So excited to have him with us here at the Care Pod, Mr. Terry Tucker. Okay, so I'm really excited here. I am sitting with Mr. Terry Tucker, author of Sustainable Excellence, and has such a powerful, motivating story. I'm so interested to dive in, to hear your journey, to inspire our CarePod audience. So thank you so much for being here with us. Well, Kipley, thanks for having me on. I'm really looking forward to talking with you today. Yes. So where to begin? Your bio is amazing. Okay. SWAT team negotiator. Okay. Citadel, BU, come on, boss man, walked a a cancer warrior. Amazing. So tell me, tell us about your journey specifically. Yeah, I I don't know where to start. I could spend the entire time just talking about all the different jobs I've had. Um, So first person in my family to graduate from college. And so I move home after the Citadel to find a job. And I'm all set to make my mark on the world with my newly obtained business administration degree. And I look back now and realize I didn't know anything about business just because I had a degree. The good news was that I found that first job in the marketing department at the corporate headquarters of Wendy's International. The bad news was that I lived with my parents for the next three and a half years as I helped my mother care for my father and my grandmother, who were both dying of different forms of cancer. So that was really kind of my first initiative into dealing with cancer. And so, you know, here we go. I'm looking at my dad. My dad dies in his early 50s of end-stage breast cancer. But one thing I learned from my father was the importance of having a purpose. Um, my dad was in real estate, and he, he worked up till two weeks before he died. But in the 1980s, a man with breast cancer, they were like, yeah, we really don't know what to do for you. Just go home and die. But he lived that three and a half years, again, I think because he had He had a purpose. He had something to do with his life. And I sort of tucked that in the back of my mind. It was like, well, when it's my turn in the barrel, I need to have that purpose. I need to do something with my life. 2012, I'm diagnosed in my early 50s with this rare form of melanoma uh, that appears on the bottom of my foot. I spent five years on a drug called interferon. Uh, that gave me severe flu-like symptoms for two to three days every week after each injection, had my left foot amputated in 2018, and my left leg amputated in 2020, and I still have tumors in my lungs now that I'm being treated for every three weeks. And I know this sounds like a really dark and ugly journey, and it certainly has been, but I'll tell you, I've learned at least two things out of this. Number one, I don't think you really know yourself until you've been tested by some form of adversity in life. And number two, 
I think cancer has made me a better human being. Amazing. Like there's so much to unpack just there. First of all, I'd like to go back because in this caregiving space, it's, it's, you know, this concept of old and age and comorbidities, uh, you know, isn't attractive to most, right? But yet it's a journey we all have to walk. And, you know, hearing you talk about how here your life, the world was your oyster, you graduated, and now you came home to care give. And, you know, really walking through for millennials that are having to, they're either, they're either being raised by grandparents or they're having to kind of walk this journey of advocating for their, their older parents uh, is, you know, I think that that, you know, despite the cancer you're saying has made you a better human being, um, what about those early days first? Did you learn about yourself and your your model of resilience and your father and the purpose that he laid for your life? Yeah, that's that's a, a great question. I, you know, again, here, here I am, you know, just graduated from college. I'm, I'm you know, I'm, I'm ready to take on the world. And I come home and, you know, my grandmother's dying of lymphoma. My dad's dying of breast cancer, literally next door to each other in the same, you know, one bedroom, the next bedroom. And I think how horrible that must have been for my mother. You know, her mother's dying in one room, her husband's dying in the next room. And my parents, you know, my my story is not one where my dad was an alcoholic and beat my mother. My mom and dad showed my brothers and I the importance of family, of loving each other, of caring for each other, of supporting each other. So yeah, it took three and a half years out of my life to help my grandmother and my father pass on. If it would have taken 30 years, I would have done that. My parents gave so much to my brothers and I to get us to the point where we all played college athletics, we all have master's degrees. You know, it was about the family. It was about caring for each other. And I I get it. You know, you, you get into life and things are happening. You got kids and you got a job and you got all this stuff, but you, you need to find the time. And, and you know, I remember I, I would wake up in the morning. I would, first thing I would do is go into my father's bedroom, my mom and dad's bedroom, and I would empty his urinal. Then I'd shower. I'd eat breakfast, I'd go to work. At lunch, I would leave work, come home, get my father ready for work, drive him to his work, put him in his office, get back, you know, and then just flip it around, you know, at the end of the day, go get him and bring him home. And that was, I would do that. I Like I said, we've done it for 30 years because I love my mom and dad and I love what they did for us. And and it wasn't a, you know, a quid pro quo. You did this for us, I'll do that for you. It was, it was the right thing to do. My parents gave to us, they showed us family, what family was about. And by God, I was going to make sure that at the end of their lives, they were taking care of whatever that took. Yeah. And, you know, that is so powerful and even so encouraging to me, uh, especially in my own current caregiver journey, because my mother has literally crafted my whole career, it, 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 either intentionally or unintentionally or consciously or subconsciously. And it is you know, that is so important to that you have reaffirmed for me that it isn't a tip for tap, but it is, it's, it's necessary. It's a no brainer. So what about cancer? What about your journey? You say it makes it made you a better person. What are those characteristics in you that have have risen to this occasion? 
I think several things. I think the, the understanding of what's really important in life. You know, I, I think a lot of times people feel that we're, we're born empty and that, you know, once we get through childhood and get out of school and sort of get into life, that our job is to fill that emptiness up. You know, I, I've got to get a great education and get a great job, make a lot of money. And, you know, I've got to have a great house and a great car and great family. And, and we, we think that the more we get, the more we fill ourselves up, the happier, and more fulfilled we're going to be. And what I've come to understand is it's, it's just the opposite. We're not born empty. We're born full. We're born with everything we need to be successful, however you define the word success, to be successful in life already inside us. We just need to find that and pull it out and use it for our benefit. So instead of thinking, you know, it's what I get, it should be, no, my job is to pour myself out, certainly for the better for betterment of myself and my family, but also for the betterment of my friends and my community and my country and things like that. And I think the people that do that, that realize it's not about what I can get because you can never get enough. There will never be enough stuff to, to get to make you happy. The happiness comes in the relationships that you have and how you make somebody's life better in your life. And, and that's one thing that cancer has taught me. I, you know, when I was diagnosed with, with this rare form of melanoma, I was told you, you'll be dead in two years. Well, it's 11 plus years now, and I'm not dead. I don't spend a lot of time worrying about the dying part. We're all going to die, but we're not all going to really live. And I remember I, I heard a Native American Blackfoot proverb years ago that I absolutely love, and it goes like this. When you were born, you cried and the world rejoiced. Live your life in such a way so that when you die, the world cries and you rejoice. That's what that's what I'm looking for. Chills and chills and chills and chills. Amazing. It's so refreshing. You're, you are refreshing. Thank you. Um, so tell me about this, how you sustain this, this sustainable excellence, you know, in times, e even as I resonate, as my heart bursts with you, as I resonate with you in this same mindset, you know, we are all human. We have these days where we're just like, really? <laughs> so how do you sustain? What is your sustainable uh, toolbox, if you will, for how you keep a positive mindset? Yeah, I, I mean, I, I wish I could say I was the poster child for positivity 24 hours a day. I, I am not. I am. I'm still being treated with a clinical trial drug that gives me terrible side effects. And you know, I cry, I get down, I feel sorry for myself. I absolutely do that. But I think there are there are three things I call my three F's that that really get me through this. The, they're faith, family, and friends. I I have a very strong faith in God, and it, it's interesting. You know, when when you get cancer, you know, first thing people ask me is like, "Well, who do you blame? Like, wh what do you mean, who do I blame?" Well, you must blame somebody. I mean, we're great in the United States. So, you know, we don't reach our goals. So we got to blame somebody because we didn't do that. We don't take personal responsibility for our own success and happiness. And I said, I don't, I don't blame anybody. And then when people find out I have a faith life, they're like, well, you must blame God. And I kind of joke with them. I'm like, no, I don't think God got up on a Tuesday morning, checked his to-do list and said, Terry Tucker, cancer today. I don't, I don't think that at all but I do believe he has given me the strength. And there've been many times where I literally prayed to die. I wanted to be out of this. 
And he didn't obviously take me, but he's given me the strength to go on. So faith is one thing. Family, it's my wife and daughter and I, I have two brothers. My mother's 88 years old, still still alive, still living with my brother. And, you know, it, I'll, I'll give you kind of a funny story how this works. So I had my leg amputated. My doctor wanted to put me on chemotherapy. And I looked at him and I said, is it going to save my life? He's like, yeah, probably not, but it might buy you some more time. And I said, well, if the outcome's going to be the same, I'm not sure I really want to do that, but I'll go home and talk to my family. So I go home and start telling my wife and daughter what's going on. And my daughter's going to be like, all right, we need a family meeting. I'm like, family meeting? There's three of us. It's not like we got a board here or something like that, you know? So we end up sitting around the kitchen table and individually talking about how we feel about me having chemotherapy. And when we're done with that, my daughter's like, all right, let's take a vote. How many people want dad to have chemotherapy? And my wife and daughter raise their hand. I'm like, wait a minute. Am I getting outvoted for something that I didn't want to do? But I remembered when I was in the police academy, our defensive tactics instructor would have us bring a photograph of the people we love the most to class. And as we were learning different techniques to defend ourselves, we were to look at that photograph because he reasoned you will fight harder for the people you love than you will fight for yourself. Wow, so wow. I took chemotherapy. I know it is, you know, I, I, the things that you learn that you don't realize you learned until, you know, years later when they kind of come full, full circle. And so I, I took chemotherapy, not because I wanted to, but because I love my family more than I love uh, myself. And it was, it was the right thing to do. It was the bridge that got me to this clinical trial drug. And then finally, my friends. And I, I think cancer, there were people that I was absolutely positive if something happened to me, they would be there for me. They would be the people in the foxhole right next to me. And a lot of those people were like, mm, nah, I can't deal with this. You know, you're a young man, you know, you, you may not live to be 55. I, I can't deal with that. I don't, I don't want to. And then there were the people who I never thought would be there for me, who have been there through this entire journey. So Faith, family, and friends have absolutely gotten me to this point in my life. Sustainable, right. And how about the transferable life skills across your, your resume? Amazing. Are you a geriatric care professional that is in need of continuing education credit? Check out our online geriatric certification courses. They are accredited by Evergreen Certification. Visit us at impactfulcaregiving.com. Amazing. Uh, so what is your, your greatest teaching point for your daughter? You know, I, I think, you know, as parents, we like to think that we teach our children about life, how, how to live life. And I think at this point in my life, I'm now teaching my daughter how to die you know, and how to die with dignity, how to die with character. And I, I mean, who knows? I could live another five years. I, yeah, I could live another five days. I don't know. But when our daughter was, when I was diagnosed, our daughter was in high school. And I think I went through all the stages that we would associate with grief when I found out I had, I had cancer. It was like, first it was, you know, denial. Well, I can't possibly have cancer. I've done everything right in my life. And then it was anger. I can't possibly have cancer. I've done everything right in my life. Yeah. And then there was sort of a bargaining with God that was, hey, look, our daughter's, you know, let me live long enough to see our daughter graduate from high school. 
not only have I done that, I've seen her graduate from college and I've walked her down the aisle to get married and, and that. So I was incredibly fortunate there. And after that, I, I got down. I got, I certainly got depressed. I'm, I'm a human being. You're looking at me now. There's no S on my chest. You do not have a cape and fly around with magical powers. But then I got to a point where it was honestly, Kipley, it was like, this sucks, but I'm going to have to embrace the suck for lack of a better term. I don't like the cards that I've been dealt but I'm going to have to play them to the best of my ability. And I'm hoping by doing that, I'm showing our daughter, you know, how to tackle difficult challenges in life, but potentially also how to die with dignity. And tell me, what does your mother say to you today? Unfortunately, my mother doesn't know what she had for breakfast this morning. She unfortunately has dementia. Um, okay. Okay. She can tell you, you know, the, the street she walked on to get to high school, but she can't tell you what she had for breakfast. And I mean, my mom is very supportive and, and has been incredibly supportive. And, and again, going back to, you know, where my dad was back in the 1980s when he died. And now my mom is, is needing the care and she's living with my brother uh, and, and his family. And I think it provides that stimulation. COVID was, was horrible. She was living in a condo by herself. She was, you know, a lot of days she didn't even get dressed. And I'm going to stay in my pajamas because I'm not going anywhere and nobody's coming to see me. So it was like, no, mom, that's not good for you. You need to be around people. You need to have that socialization. You need to play cards and laugh and have fun. And then whatever time you have left, enjoy the time. I mean, she's got a brother who's 93 years old. So longevity certainly runs in their family. And we just want to make sure that she has the, the best quality of life that she possibly can for however long she has left on this earth. And you know what? It's probably a blessing in disguise that she doesn't really know about your journey in a way to internalize, uh, you know, that grief on her heart. So it, it is probably a blessing in that way as well. So how have you all kind of banded together as a family in caregiving while you're walking your one journey and also trying to support your brother, I'm sure, in supporting, you know, the variable degrees of, of dementia in your mom. Yeah, I, I mean, we're, we're fortunate that my, my brother's wife is a nurse and, and so has access, knows, you know, the, the, the right doctors to, to send her to and to get her hooked up with and things like that. So we're, we're very fortunate in that regard. Unfortunately, they live in Chicago. We live in Colorado. So it, it's very, it's very difficult other than, you know, calling and sort of, you know, my brother sometimes will call me and he'll, he'll just start betting, you know, mom, tick me like Larry, that's not mom. That's, that's the dementia. That's not mom acting, you know, the way she is because she wants to upset you. It's just, she doesn't know any better. I mean, you know, it's sort of, we start out as children. And then if we live long enough, I think we revert back to being that child that needs that care and things like that. And that's where mom is. I mean, she's still very, she, you know, she can take care of herself and get dressed and, and eat and make dinner and all that kind of stuff, but just doesn't have the cognitive ability of, of knowing, you know, I could call her right now, mom, what'd you have for breakfast? Uh, I, I don't remember, you know, and, and that's, that's a shame, but, but yet she will talk to me and remember things about, growing up. And I, there, I I remember I was listening to a podcast and the person said, you know, ask your mother, you know, these, you know, what was it like the day I was born? What was the first year like? What was the best thing I ever did for you? You know, ask your parents these things now, especially if they have the ability, you know, to think back on it and stuff like that. Because once they get dementia, 
or Alzheimer's or whatever they end up getting, they, they won't know what the best thing was and stuff like that. So I, I, I try to slip some of these questions in when I talk to her. Sometimes they work. Sometimes she just she doesn't know. But right. I, I love her to death. Yeah, well, and listen, the journey she walked, like you said, you know, having to care give for uh, your father in and of itself. So amazing. So tell me about this SWAT team negotiation. Very uh, curious point for me on, you know, how you negotiate amongst teams. You said you you had a point in your journey where you bargained with God even to say, uh, listen, I'm suffering and I need something to give. Uh, what do you say to to those who are downtrodden, who are at a crossroads? You know, what's your greatest negotiation inspirational point or message? I guess, you know, I guess to answer that, I, I would I would sort of shift gears a little bit to a story that that I heard about a professor at Johns Hopkins University back in the 1950s who did an experiment with rats. And it was a very simple experiment. So nobody's, nobody turned us off because he, he mentioned <laughs> rats, don't do that. You know. But he took rats and he put them in a tank of water that was over their head. And he wanted to see how long the average rat could tread water. And the average rat treaded water for about 15 minutes. And just as those rats were getting ready to sink and to drown, he reached in, grabbed them, pulled them out, dried them off, and let them rest for a while. And then he took the exact same rats and put them back in that exact same tank of water. And the second time around, on average, those rats treaded water for 60 hours. Wow. Think about that. First time, 15 minutes. You're just not going to, you know, your business isn't going to go under. You're not going to lose your, you're going to die. Your life is going to be over. And the second time around, 60 hours, which told me two things. Number one, the importance of hope in our lives that, you know, maybe not today, maybe not next month, maybe not even next year. But if you keep doing the things that you know you should be doing, that you know you want to do, you will eventually get to where you should be in life. And the second thing it taught me was just how much more, and, and you know this from being a doctor, just how much more our physical bodies can handle than we ever give ourselves credit for. We quit, we give up, we shut down long before our bodies ever do. And I, I had this friend of mine who's a former Navy SEAL, and the SEALs talk about their 40% rule, which basically says that if you're done, if you're at the end of your rope, if you can't go on, you're only at 40% of your maximum, and you have another 60% left in reserve to give to yourself. So the next time, you know, you don't want to get off the couch and, and go to the gym, which we all should. I don't care how old you are. You, you should all exercise in some way. You know, the next time you don't want to do something, realize you have another 60% left in reserve to give to yourself and do that. Give that to yourself. Amazing. You are just, you are such a powerhouse and such a blessing in this space. You really are. You really are. What would your wife and daughter say about you? <laughs> then, then I probably have the worst dad jokes in, in, in the world. I, 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 I used to have a nurse. She, she has just retired. She was a nurse for 42 years at the University of Colorado. And she would start my IVs because I've been doing this for a long time. And it's, it's very hard to get an IV in me and I don't have a port. And, and, and she got to a point where she's like, I'm not starting your IV unless you give me a good dad joke. 
So I used to have to come every every Monday with with a dad joke for her. And I, I, I even went to her retirement party. She was such she did so much for me. And that and so I, I, I like to use humor, you know, to sort of deflect some of this. I remember when I had my leg amputated, I was I'm going to use the term walking out of the hospital. Walking isn't the right word, but in this boot. And there was a woman at the at the entrance or, or the exit. And she was just staring so hard at me. And I kind of looked around like, is she looking at me? And, and there was nobody else around. So she wasn't. And so when I got right up to her, I turned, I looked her right in the eye and I said, don't worry, it'll grow back. And I just kept walking. And, and I turned around and she had this look on her face like, really? Is this guy like a salamander or something like, you know, will his leg really grow back or his foot grow back and stuff like that? So I try to use humor to deflect some of the uncomfortableness that people feel you know, when they see I don't have a leg and, you know, I'm in a wheelchair and things like that. It, it's, I, I laugh at it. You know, I've, I've learned to deal with it, but but humor can be a, a great defense mechanism to, to get people out of their uncomfortableness. And how, how did you get comfortable? How did you grow into your own skin, if you will, to say, you know what, I don't have a leg, but I, I am still very much all man, all fully present in this life, still have a value add to uh, any space that I enter, et cetera. How did you get there? Fairly simply by doing hard things. I, I try to do every day at least one thing that makes me nervous, that scares me, that makes me uncomfortable, that's potentially embarrassing. It doesn't have to be a big thing. For example, I, I can't stand going to the dentist. I, I mean, I have this, this terrible fear. I have a leg cut off, but I can't go get a filling done, you know? And, and so I, I, I'm scared to death the dentist. But so the other day I picked up the phone and called and made my six-month appointment. And I'm sure your audience is like, well, that's no big deal. If you don't like the dentist as much as I do, that is a big deal. And, and that's what I mean. You do these little things every day, you, these little uncomfortable things you don't want to do. And, and that's just it, it you know, I'm, I need to study for this test. I don't want to do it. Study for the test. I need to clean the house. I, I don't want to clean the house. Clean the house. I, I, I don't want to make my bed. Make your bed. Do those small things that you don't want to do. If you do those every day, when the big disasters in life hit us, and they hit all of us, we lose somebody who's close to us, you know, for working, you know, we get let go from our job. We find out we have a chronic or a terminal illness. You'll be so much more resilient to handle that pain when it presents itself. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So what are you doing these days? Are you on the speaker circuit? How, what are, what does life look like? Yeah, so I, I'm sort of on this three-week cycle. Uh, I go to the hospital for an entire week, Monday through Friday, Monday through Friday uh, and I'm treated with this clinical trial drug. So I pretty much don't do anything. It, it really kind of wipes me out. And then I have two weeks off. And so I initially, you know, I start this speaking gig and then COVID hits and somebody reaches out to me and says, well, would, would you like to be a guest on my podcast? And I said, sure. What's a podcast? I, I literally, I had, I had no idea what a podcast was. Eh, we kind of talk and then we put it up on social media and I'm like, okay. And I remember when I, when my first podcast, I had posted notes all around the camera and the, and the person would ask me a question. I'd kind of lean in and read the post note. I, I was terrible. I was horrible at it. I didn't, I didn't have good stories. I, you know, I was, Hum and uh and all that through the whole thing. But I, I really wanted to be good at it because it allows me with having tumors in my lungs during COVID, I couldn't go anywhere. I didn't want to, to get that. 
but how can I, like so many other businesses, how can I deliver my message in a different way? And that was podcasting. So I've been fortunate. I'm probably closing in on being a guest on 700 podcasts all around the world with, I mean, literally, you know, China, New Zealand, Africa, India. And I've met so many good people, so many gracious people. And, and that's a way for me to connect with other people without being around them and exposing my, my lungs to those things. I am now that things are opening back up, doing more speaking, whether it's in person or virtual. And again, that's, that's fun for me because as a speaker, you, you, you know, you, you're with a group of people, you can interact with each other. You can, you know, is this resonating with you? Or somebody will come up to you and say, Hey, I was texting my son who's having a tough time, everything you were saying. And, and you just never know the impact you're going to have. And I'll, I'll end with this. I had a, a couple of weeks ago, I got an email from somebody who said, you know, I just listened to your podcast. Oh my gosh, it, it resonated with me so much. And he gave me the title of the podcast. And I was like, gosh, I don't, I don't remember that. Mm-hmm. It was a podcast I had done two and a half years ago that wow. he had found and listened to, and it resonated with him. So, you know, it, that's, what's great about this medium. You, you, you put something out there and it's it's like a seed. It germinates, and you're like, okay. And then, bang! Somebody gets it, and it, you don't even remember doing it. And it was something you did years and years ago, but it resonates with another human being. Yes, and you know, your legacy continues. When you talk about faith, family, and friends, your legacy will continue Absolutely. with your message of inspiration, your journey of resilience. So. I bless you. I pray that your speaking will triple, your messaging will triple in this space and beyond. Hopefully we will do some things together on the same platform. Uh, I I do think that it's, it's so necessary. You know, I, when I lecture or teach amongst colleagues, I kind of open one's eyes to say, hey, how many of you are a caregiver, right? But it's like, oh, wow, I'm a nurse, I'm a doctor, I'm a speech pathologist, I'm a physical therapist. Oh, I'm a caregiver, yes. And so when we are looking to one another, we are sharing a a, a collective journey. I mean, the patients that we're serving, we're walking through uh, similar circumstances, maybe not an identical scenario, but, you know, very similar uh intersecting themes of you know resilience of bounce back of the push uh you know of the continual self-encouragement so i'm really really happy i've enjoyed this conversation so Kipley, thank you very much for having me on i enjoyed talking with you yes can you tell us uh we are international how one would book you uh, how we get your book, etc. Yeah, the, the easiest way to do that all is, is I have a, a blog. It's called Motivational Check. Uh, you can get access to my book. You can leave me a message. You can you can book me to speak. I have recommendations for books to read, videos to watch, and all that. That's all at MotivationalCheck.com. Love it. Motivational check. Well, you have given us a motivational check today, on today, and I and I really thank you so much. Well, thank you for having me. I enjoyed it. Great information right from the source. For more information on how to caregive like a boss, check out impactfulcaregiving.com. Want to be a guest on the show? Contact us at carepod at impactfulcaregiving.com.